Come on, everybody. This is our Bible. And we are going to believe every word. And why not claim every promise and live by every command? I'm so glad that you are here today. I'm so thrilled about today's lesson, although I have to tell you, it's going to be a little bit awkward. And um, the Bible at times can be a little bit awkward because it just speaks the truth to us. And it kind of gets a little bit in our face and in our business. And, um, and today, um, you know, at some point we're going to be talking about what happens when people were filled with the Spirit and they actually spoke in tongues. That's awkward for a lot of people, not for some. We're going to talk about the necessity or not the lack of necessity for circumcision. Everybody say awkward. I'm sorry, the whole Bible really deals with this subject so much, we can't avoid it because it's awkward. So you just got to think of it as a medical procedure. And, and, what, and if you don't know what circumcision is, and after church, you can find one of the nurses. We have several of them in here, <laughs> and they can explain it to you. So Acts chapter 15 is really titled as the Great Council at Jerusalem. And the journals read this for us, and it's kind of a launching pad for this teaching today. We're at the midway point of our study through the book of Acts. Now, obviously, we're hitting highlights, and there's some of the narratives that we're skipping along the way because it's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And so, if we were going paragraph by paragraph, we would be here for about three years. Some of you would love that. Others would be so bored with it. And so, I'm trying to speak to both of you, groups of people that, that love studying, you know, you're cognitive learners, and then there's others of us that we want to just be inspired, hit the, hit the big points, Pastor Ron, don't bore me with the details. So, we're, I'm going so to bore some people with the details, I'm going to delight some people with the details. I'm going to inspire some people who are cognitive, you know, intellectuals, and some people that are just, you know, they're just, they just want, they just want the fire of God in their lives. And so, let's see if we can study a little bit together. At this midway point, we find that the Jewish church in Jerusalem is now grappling with the gospel of the kingdom expanding outside of their tribes outside of the nation of Israel. We know uh, because we can look with hindsight at what Jesus was teaching that it was always His intention not just to be the Messiah of the Jews, but to be the Savior of the world. And if you have your little notebook and you want to write down a key note for that, that you could write that down. Jesus came not just to be Messiah to the Jews, but He came to be the Savior of the world. And these, this progressive ministry of the early church through the power of the Holy Spirit, remember, we said that the book of Acts is the record of the ongoing work of Jesus by the Spirit through His church. And, it, and if Jesus is to be the Savior of the world, then He wants the message of the kingdom to be spread around the world. This is why we have a teenager that is totally bought in to saving money the whole year so she could invest in an unreached people group 
in Western Africa. I cannot even tell you. I could go home right now and just be thrilled because we got a young generation that understands their responsibility and are thrilled to sacrifice for the advancement of the kingdom of God. I, you know, you know, I really love you guys, but y'all playing patty cake with that. You ought to really, you ought to really give the Lord praise for that. That is amazing. That is exciting. Yeah. So, what's happening is that these, that God is working now among the Gentiles, and what the Jews would call the, the unclean, uncircumcised pagans, the Gentiles. It's like, really? Who invited them to the party? And, and this is what we're going to talk about today. Another thing I want you to see um, when you're studying through the book of Acts is that, is that it almost could be divided into two sections. The first part of the first half has to do primarily with how the, the, the Lord was establishing the church not just through the apostles, but primarily through the figure of the apostle Peter, which I find so encouraging. Because the apostle Peter, Peter, when he was a disciple, you know, he, he was like one of us. I mean, he was just out loud. He had to backtrack on so many things. Sometimes he had to, things had to be repeated to him. He was very impulsive, forgetful, but yet God marked that he would be the one that would have the revelation that God was going to open up the gospel beyond the Jewish nation. The second half is what God is doing. The first half, the, among the Gentiles, the first half you could think of, this is God's work through the Holy Spirit under the leadership of Peter. The second half is God's work uh, by the Holy Spirit under the leadership of Paul. So after today, uh, today I'm going to talk uh, you through some of the things that God used in Peter, and then you see a transition because Luke is traveling with the Apostle Paul, and they actually go on three missionary journeys. They're establishing churches all around uh, the Middle East, and it's pretty amazing what happens. So, we're, we're kind of at a transition point here today for all of you that want to stay on the timeline that you can understand this better. So, it's interesting uh, to me that as you read through this big powwow, this big council, this big conflict that they're trying to resolve, that, that the, the tension is and, and the contention is over, is the gospel really going to, and the kingdom going to advance into the, the, the Gentiles and beyond the Jewish people? The, the average Jewish child grew up hearing we are God's special covenant people, right? That's the way they were trained. We are different than all of the other peoples because God has entered into covenant with us. And of course, that's true in that God uh, established the covenant to reveal his, his, his name, his self, his nature, his will, his purpose through the Jewish nation. And they were so proud of that. And they were in great conflict with this because if, God, if they were so special, why were they being occupied by the Romans? And they were actually in bondage to the Roman Empire. And, and so, as the church began among the Jews in Jerusalem, it would soon begin to include Gentiles. 
And this, I don't think, everybody, I want you to get this, because I don't think that you, we understand how radical of a reality that was. Because on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell, and it, and it fell upon the Jews. It was a Jewish ceremony. It was the day of Pentecost. And the church was established among the Jews. Remember, the commission was, when you receive power, you're going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, to the uttermost parts of the world, where the Gentiles live. That's what the Lord wanted to do. So, it was the Lord's plan for that. And this attitude of we are special in God's eyes, some of us are like, how could they be like that? Have you looked around at the church world in America? One of the things I think that must grieve the Holy Spirit so much is the division in Christianity that where people divide and they consider themselves to be more special than the others. That there are actually denominations and church groups that believe that unless you believe the way that we believe and worship the way that we worship, then you aren't really saved because we have, we have the special revelation. It's very disturbing to me, and I just, I think that the Lord is, has done a lot to tear down the walls of division, and He is building a church that's made up of Baptists, Methodists, of, of not just Protestants, but Catholics. I'm just telling you, God is working in this day to tear down walls and center a faith that's all around Jesus. Dead religion, I'm telling you, it sickens uh, me to my stomach because it's used to feed ego and it's used to control people. That's not what God had in mind. That's why the Lord rebuked the religious leaders of his day is because they were using it to stroke their ego and control people, and that's not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is about us all being in love with Jesus, submitting and surrendering, and treating one another as equals in the body of Christ. There's no room for racism. There's no room for generational division. There's no room for hatred or bigotry between male and female. That's not what God came to do. Everybody, listen, there, there is no room for that in the kingdom of God. And the church that Jesus is building will not be marked by all of that bigotry. Okay. So, Peter said in our reading, if, if the Gentiles are coming to the Lord and they're being filled with the Holy Spirit, then why should we put this yoke upon these Gentile believers that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. It's not like we were great at our Jewish faith, right, everybody? We couldn't even deal with it. And so, I want to show you something. Uh, I'm going to give you quickly just an overview. I'm going to put it on the screen quick, because we're going to cover what happens in chapters 10 through 15. And I want, to, I want to show you just an outline. Everybody, just look on the screen behind me, okay? Here, Acts chapter 10 through 11, verse 18, we find that, that Peter receives, uh, through Peter, the Gentiles receive the gospel and the Spirit, which leads to the, this early church conflict. And then in chapter 11, we find, after they deal with that, 
that God establishes a multi-race, multi-ethnic, powerful church in Antioch. Now, this is really important. In fact, next week, I'm going to teach the whole uh, morning on the church at Antioch, which I believe is the model church for us for today, the church at Antioch. Okay? In chapter 12, James, this is the brother of John, he is killed, and then uh, Peter is arrested. If you read that, it's very interesting because the church prays, and some of you have read this already, and God miraculously releases Peter from prison. Acts 13 and 14, from Antioch, Paul and Barnabas are sent out on a missionary assignment. That church was a sending church. I'm going to save all my comments to next week, but you ought to be here next week because it's a really cool thing. Then Acts chapter 15, where we started, there was this conflict between the strict Jewish customs of um, the law and circumcision, and the and they were trying to force, some were trying to force the Gentiles to participate in this in order to really be saved, and this necessitated this big council meeting where they all came together. Can I just tell you from the beginning, when the church was established, there was conflict. Where people are involved, there will always be conflict. You know what? Because people are messy, and people have difference of, differences of opinions. And, and sometimes you have to deal with conflict out in the open. I mean, sometimes you need to—everybody needs to get together, and everybody needs to have a talk, and then we need to hear the Holy Spirit, and then we need to obey the Holy Spirit and move on as a church. We've had plenty of those situations in the history of Christian life, and we probably will in the future also. So we can't be afraid of conflict, because if we are afraid of conflict, then we'll just have a, a little small group of people who think like us, act like us, talk like us, and we'll be intimidated and fearful for somebody else of somebody else who might have a, 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 a difference of opinion. God wants to use everybody. We don't all come from the same background. We don't all think the same way. And so, conflicts will arise. Now, for the sake of today's message, we started here with our reading, but we have to go all the way back to chapter 10 to find out what Peter was saying when he said, don't you remember it was God who chose me from among you? to open up the door, to unlock the door to the Gentile believers. Well, this actually happened in Acts chapter 10. And let me remind you, Jesus told Peter, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind will be bound, whatever you loose will be loosed. And it is, it has, it is as though God used uh, the apostle Peter to unlock the revelation of the risen Jesus and salvation through grace and faith in His blood to the Gentiles, and He did it in a marvelous, incredible way. So, if you want to, you just go with me to Acts chapter 10. And I want to show you something, everybody, on the map while you're turning to Acts chapter 10. I want to put a map up, and I want you to see where, what we're talking about here. It, this is Jerusalem. Here's Antioch in Syria. We're going to be talking about Caesarea, which was somewhere on the coast right about here. Those of you that went to Israel with us a few years ago, you remember we stood on the shores of Caesarea, and I had a moment there because I remembered this very story 
when I was standing on the shores of Caesarea looking out into the Mediterranean Sea. Pretty amazing. So the, the head church started here. Now the gospel has spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, and now it's also gone to Africa. Remember, uh, the Ethiopian got saved. It's gone to Africa. So it's going this way, and the gospel's going that way. And the great church was established at Antioch. By the way, you see Tarsus? This is where Saul was born. Saul of Tar Tarsus became the great apostle Paul. And so I just wanted you to be able to have that in your mind so that you can see this all started, this conflict, or this expansion of the gospel started by this revelation or this dream that God gave Peter in Acts chapter 10. I'm going to read some of it to you. Acts chapter 10 verse 1 begins like this. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion in what is known as the Italian regiment. He and all of his family were devout God and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. And one day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, uh, and it freaked Cornelius out. He's like, what is it, Lord, what is this? And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up to memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. So this is 30-something miles south of Caesarea. Peter is kind of hiding from the intense persecution that has um, been ignited against the Christian church. And so The centurion, this is so amazing, Cornelius, it says of him that he was devout and that he was God-fearing and that he was generous and he had the fear of God on him. It's very interesting because there's a lot that's being said underneath the surface here that unless you really study, you don't understand what's being said. So I've uh, done the heavy lifting for you, and I want to I I show you what's going on with this guy, because this man was in charge of keeping the peace in Caesarea, which was the capital, the Roman capital for Judea. And so, there are all these uprisings that were happening, and they always had mil the military, the Romans had centurions that would, that commanded forces that would that would silence the uprising and keep control of the Jews because they hated being under in captivity of the, of, by the Romans. All right. And so, it says of Cornelius that he's like a unicorn, kind of, because, you know, he's a Roman, but he has a heart for God. And he has found something in, the, in Judaism that he is drawn to. So, this is really interesting because, because he is— He's a worshiper of God, and it's interesting that he is praying and God speaks to him, and that he is bought into the generosity that he saw at the temple. He actually would come to the synagogue and he would worship there. So, uh, uh, God, you know, the Lord's face was turned towards him, and there, these four significant aspects of him was very important. But 
The term God-fearing, I want you to understand this because it's linked to Acts chapter 15. Because the term in the original Greek language for God-fearing was a technical term that was used for a Gentile who attended the synagogue and he followed some of the Jewish laws, but he had not been circumcised. And so he's a grown man who has not been circumcised. And the, the Jews believe that if you are not circumcised, then you will not be received. You will be, you will be disobedient to the law because it was the mark of the covenant that went all the way back to Abraham that was also established uh, by Moses. And so what you're finding is that there is this man who, te- who loves God. He's not a complete proselyte. That means he hasn't, he hasn't become Jewish. He's still Roman. And he's still a Gentile, and he has not sold out completely, and he's not bearing the marks of the covenant in his body. Okay, is everybody with me? But God gives him a dream. And so, that dream is to sense very specific, right? An angel shows up and says, sin for Peter. This is the controversy that is incredible. I'm just saying to you that, you know, that what makes us right with God, everybody, is not anything that we can do in the flesh. The Jews had a very detailed covenant, covenantal system. It involved circumcision, animal sacrifice, and the Sabbath. But according to Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, we are, not, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. This is not of ourselves. It's a complete gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, that last phrase, lest anyone should boast, that's confronting the the Jewish pride of circumcision, that they're boastful about them bearing the marks of the covenant and living by the ceremonial law. And Paul says it's, it's not that way. So the controversy is this, what makes us right with God? Not the law of Moses with its rules and animal sacrifices, but the faith that we have in the work of Christ and His sacrifice on the cross. So the next day it says in Acts 10, about noon the following day as they were on their journey approaching the city, the men that that Cornelius the centurion sent to find Peter, Peter went up to pray. Now, notice that both of them are praying when they receive a a vision. There's a nice little plug that Landon gave about our prayer meeting on Sunday. I'm just—I mean, Saturday. I want you to see that both were praying when they got a vision. I'm just saying one more time. Both were praying when God showed up. Okay. And Peter, while he was praying, he fell into a trance, and he saw the heavens open up, and a large sheet fell down to the earth by four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter, being Peter, right, arguing with God again, he does that a lot. I don't know if anybody can relate to him, but he's kind of like, no, no. I mean. Who says no to a vision like that? I'm not going to do that. But he did. He said, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure and unclean. 
the voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back up to heaven while Peter was wondering, what in the heck is going on? What does this mean? And at that time, the guys from Cornelius are knocking on the door. Peter's hiding away. He hears it, and he goes, I know why they're here, because this was the answer to the vision. Now, can I just stop for a moment and tell you that, that, that there's a threefold revelation here that emphasized the importance of what it was that God was doing. And it was so powerful that it was difficult for the Apostle Peter to grasp because he had been eating clean and was so devout as a Jew, he couldn't hardly embrace what God was saying. I wonder how many times you are found questioning and resisting God's voice. And isn't it good that God loves you just as much as he loved him? Because some of you, it's taken one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine chances, and God keeps speaking to you, and he keeps revealing his will to you. This shows the goodness of God. In fact, there's probably some of you in here today, and, and this message today is re-emphasizing, or you just being here today is, is, is just a testimony that God's after you, and he wants you to listen to him. And he knows how to speak to you. And he has no problem repeating himself. And when you keep saying, no, God, he keeps saying, let me show you this again. And when you keep saying, God, I can't go there, he keeps saying, no, but you're going there. Because God never quits. He has never quit on you. And you ought to give him glory for that right now, everybody. Oh, yeah. I mean, you think about it, Peter, he denied Jesus three times. When Jesus restored him, he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. And they asked him again, do you love me? Yes, Lord. And now he's getting a vision, and again, it's three times this sheet is falling down. And, he's, and each of the other times, he's like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't accept this. But finally, boom, he embraces this. And for all the stubborn and resistant people here, this is just God trying to get your attention. I don't know if you realize this, but on that sheet was all kinds of Cajun food. <laughs> I'm talking about, I'm, I'm talking about pig's feet. I, I'm, I'm talking about crabs, boiled crawfish, shrimp oysters on the half shell. If, if, that, if that sheet fell down in front of me, I'd have called up all my Cajun friends and we would have had a feast. But for the Jews, they couldn't touch that fried catfish. There ain't no way they were going to eat those chitlins or, or, or a piece of fried pork chop. This is what we were dealing with. But what God was doing is he was saying that the lessons that were taught through the Jewish dietary laws, have found their fulfillment in Christ. And now we are free from the burden of, of rules and regulations that God is no longer acting or working on the outside. He has he is become a God of the heart. 
And you ought to thank God that you've been free from that whole Jewish dietary and animal sacrificial system that was in place. And so, this is pretty incredible because Peter goes with these men on a 30-mile journey. They come to Cornelius' house, and, 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 and he walks—this is the mighty, incredible apostle Peter, and he walks into his house. And Cornelius is centurion. He's got all of his family and friends there. The place is packed out. And, when, and Cornelius is so overwhelmed by this vision must have been really real. This guy is, 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 is alive. He falls down on his knees. As in an act of reference in Peter, thank God he got enough wisdom to say, get up, man, I'm just a guy like you. And he gets up, and then Peter begins telling the story. What's interesting to me, in verse 27 and verse 28, now, while uh, Cornelius was talking to him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people, and he said to them, uh, they're all Gentiles. And he, he says to them, you are aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Now, the church in America should just hear this. And everybody in the political world that accuse Christians of being racist, they should hear this. And the church should embrace fully how that God has made us just one incredible mosaic of the body of Christ made up of every tribe and color and persuasion and background. And, and we should not ever treat anybody who is not one of us as being impure and unclean. And it says in verse 34 and verse 35 that Peter began to speak. And he said this, I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the ones who fear God and does what's right. This is so vital, everybody, because the Jewish leaders of the early church in Jerusalem, they had to embrace and change their minds and their hearts to accept that God was going to bring people into the kingdom who are not like themselves. And Jesus didn't come just to be the Messiah of the Jews. He came to be the Savior of the world. Can you say amen to that? Now, I'm going to save you a lot of reading and just give you a conclusion here. Peter's message in Cornelius' house with all those people was really simple. It came down to this. Christ Jesus lived. Jesus died. And Jesus rose again. I'm, listen to me, everybody. This is, was this simple. He lived, we saw him. He died, we were with him. He rose again, we're witnesses of it. That's the message. How do you argue with an eyewitness that has seen him, lived with him, watched him die, and saw him risen again? And then verse 43 says, And everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. He didn't say, and everyone who believes in him and is circumcised and starts sacrificing their favorite pets on a, on, on a stone altar. He just said, he just, listen, he just said, if you believe in him and you will have your sins forgiven through his name. How powerful is that? 
So they are receiving this, and look at verse 44, and it says, and while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all of those who were there. This is pretty incredible. I just want you to, I want you to embrace this. The, and it says, the circumcised believers, meaning the Jews that came with him from Joppa, who had come with Peter, they were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of them being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody look at this. And then they asked Peter to stay there for a few days, and he stayed and ministered to them. This is incredible. He's just in the house teaching about Jesus, and then sovereignly, the Holy Spirit, some theologians call this the Gentile Pentecost, because in Jerusalem, there was this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that filled those believers that were in the upper room, and they were, and they were found speaking in tongues. And now, there's an entire different group of people, these Gentiles, and while they're preaching, while he's teaching, the Holy Spirit sovereignly comes upon them, and there is this visible impartation that overwhelms those that are there, and it shocks the Jewish leaders and Peter himself, and he goes, whoa, this is the same thing God did then, now he's doing here. So, I guess this vision I had must be true. You ought to thank God that just like God revealed Himself to Abraham and God had a covenant with Abraham, that God revealed the vision for the Gentiles to come into the kingdom to the apostle Peter, and God poured out His Spirit on those who were not just Jews. Where would we be, everybody? Jesus came not just to be the Messiah to the Jews, but the Savior to the whole world. And we're so thankful for that. Are we not, everybody? Amen. So, this is the incredible thing that marked the church. Now, can I just tell you that after this experience happened, Peter makes his way south again, and the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem hear about him eating with Gentiles and and sleeping and staying in their house, and they call him on the carpet. This is—you can read about this all in chapter 11. And Peter's like, you know, it, it, God's the one who's conducting the affairs of the advancement of the kingdom. All I'm doing is being a witness. All I did was show up. God gave the vision, and they received the power of the Holy Spirit just like we had. And it says at the end that they all were rejoicing that now the, the gospel and the kingdom had advanced to beyond the Jewish church into the Gentiles. I'm going to give you five words, everybody, that I think marked the early church. And I want you to write these down because I believe, <coughs> excuse me, that this is so important for us to get. As I was praying, Lord, what, how can we apply What's happening in, in Acts chapter 10 through uh, chapter 15? There are five things that the Lord just put on my heart. And, and number one, this is for you and for me, is the word hunger. See, Cornelius demonstrated a hunger to know God and an eagerness to obey Him. 
even though he was looking outside of his own culture into someone else's, he was hungry. In fact, I think that this experience that we find in Acts chapter 10 kind of answers the question, what about those who have never heard about Jesus? Are they saved? You know, what, this is what I really believe, that if, if there is a person, no matter where they are all around the world and whatever age they're in, and they have a hunger that's so intense like Cornelius's was, that God will do the extra to make sure that they hear the gospel and are able to come to faith. Sincerity is not enough to get you to heaven. We are not saved by having a good heart or being generous people. We are saved when we put our faith in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We are saved when we believe with our heart and we confess with our mouth and we make Him Lord. And God has a way, sovereign. This is God's business, it's not mine. Now, we get the joy of cooperating and evangelizing the world. But I do believe that, there, that, that, uh, that right now Christian life is actively involved in helping people who are hungry for God that are bound in false religion to find Jesus and have a revelation of the way to heaven. Can you say amen to that? And this is what I want to say to you. Are, are you eager to hear from God and to do His will? If you are, ask the Spirit to increase your thirst and desire for the things of God. I have found this. You know, I've been serving God over 40 years, and gosh, there, there are lots of opportunities for me to become bored and dull in my relationship with God. But I find myself asking the Lord all the time, will you give me a fresh, fresh vision and ignite a hunger inside of me to go deeper, farther, to climb higher, to do more, to know you better? I, I, I'm desperate for it. I can't live without it. I can't be satisfied with what he's done yesterday. And if you're in here and you've been in church forever, it's time for you to ask God for a vision. Ask God for a dream. It's time for you to awaken a hunger for the things of God. Some of you have it right now, and you're just, you're just following me around and sending me emails and, and messages, messages on Messenger, and you're like, hey, what about this? What about that? How about this? Will you pray for me about this? And I'm just telling you, I'm just delighted about that because you're just hungering and going after God. And, and it convicts me. I got to at least stay one step ahead of you right? If I'm going to be your leader. So, I, so God, come on, increase. This is my prayer. God, would you increase our hunger and desire for more of God, for everything that you have. And I pray, God, for revelation, for dreams and visions, for us to see God and hear Him. Here's the second thing I want you to see. It's the word prayer. It is no coincidence that both men have their vision while they are praying. I know I jumped ahead a while ago, but I'm so convinced of this that we must understand that prayer is vital. It is the vital link to our living God. And when it's neglected, you are not putting yourself in a spiritual state to be able to receive from Him. 
When we see prayer not as a luxury or optional, but as a necessity, then we will find an intimacy with God that will satisfy us. Again, if you're bored as a Christian in 2023, ask God for a hunger and do that in prayer and watch what God will do. You will experience His power and His presence because when you gather together with other believers to pray and seek His face, He's promised to show up there. I'll repeat what Landon said. Stop neglecting Saturday morning prayer. Come, show up, give the Lord an hour, and invest some time praying. You know, when, when James was killed and Peter was arrested, you know what the church did then? They got together in a house and they started interceding for Peter to be spared. James was dead, and Peter was about to go to trial. But because the church prayed, God released an angel, showed up in, in that prison cell, and led Peter away. Even Peter was like, I must be dreaming. He didn't even realize he wasn't dreaming until he's walking and he gets to the house. Remember the little girl named Rhoda? She comes to the door because Peter's knocking on the door. I said, hey, let me in. I'm kind of exposed out here. She goes to the door, hears Peter's voice. She goes running in where they're praying for Peter to be released. And they're like, Peter's at the door. And they're like, shut up. We're trying to pray for him. Nobody's here. And they're like, would you just be quiet with that nonsense? That sounds like prayer at Christian Life in 2023. We pray, we pray, we pray, and God does something, and we're like, what happened? What just happened? They opened up the door, and they laid him in, and they were all amazed at how God answered their prayer. The early church was a praying church. And the church in America is going to see God move in our nation whenever we are committed to prayer like we've never been before. Here's number three. The third word is partnership. Cornelius was a wealthy, Gentile, authoritative military man, and Peter was a Jewish fisherman who turned into a preacher. And you know what? Cornelius needed Peter, and Peter needed Cornelius. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say that, that, that there was this partnership because Peter needed this Gentile that had a heart that was hungry for God. And God used that to create this occasion where a new revelation came. We need one another. And we need to accept that what God has to offer us through our partnerships in the kingdom. Can I just tell you, a pastor in this church, the thing that thrills me the most more than anything else is not the opportunities that I have to get up here and preach and teach to you. I like it. I think y'all can tell I enjoy it. Uh, it, it, it is one of my favorite things, but I was walking around at the men's meeting yesterday, and I'm watching men love on one another, elbowing one another, competing with one another in a home run derby, and I think somebody threw out their back for sure. <laughs> eating hot dogs and hamburgers, and I saw a couple of guys praying with one another. This guy over here is in tears as prayers being had, and I'm like, this is what the kingdom of God is all about. It's not all about gatherings where you sit in rows and look at the back of somebody's head and listen to somebody lecture you about the Bible. The kingdom of God is about life. It's about relationships. It's about partnerships, doing something great together. It's about God bringing us together 
and accomplishing great things, partnership. And the early church stepped up into this. This is why we have journey coaches and discipleship groups and impact teams, opportunities for you to partner. Here's the, here's the fourth word, and that is the word power. There was an ongoing impartation of the Holy Spirit power, and this was the norm and not the exception. And some people say, well, that was just for that early generation. I'm, I'm, excuse me, but this is something that God has been doing and is still doing. He is filling people with the power of the Holy Spirit, and they are operating in it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He's, Peter said, the promise is for you and for your children and of all who are far off. The promise of Holy Ghost power was not just limited to the Jewish church in Jerusalem, but now it's manifesting in the Gentile church outside of the walls of Jerusalem, and they're having the same experiences. I'm going to put five of these instances up on the screen. You can take a picture of them, or, or if you write quickly, you can just write them down. Because I want you to see there are five times that the Holy Spirit poured out His power upon the church. The first one is at the day of Pentecost, and you know how it came. The power came then. Then it was the new believers in Samaria. Now, these were kind of half Gentiles, half Jews, right? Peter and John were sent to pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. This is progressive, everybody. Then the newly converted uh, Saul of Tarsus, remember, he got knocked down by the Lord, and he saw a great light, and then Ananias came to him, and he said, Brother Saul, the the Lord has sent me to lay hands on you that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit also. And now at Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10, it'd be like me just teaching here and all of a sudden, boom, all of you start getting laid out by the Holy Ghost and start praying in tongues. How many of you would like that? How many of you would want to run the other way? I'm like, Lord, whether they want to run or whether they like it, just do it. Just come, Holy Spirit. Show us your power. Amen. All right? And here's the last one is the new believers in Ephesus. We'll talk about this later. In Acts chapter 19, uh, the apostle Paul finds some believers in Ephesus and said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? They said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Paul laid his hands and prayed over them, and they all received the Holy Spirit and prophesied and spoke in tongues. So those who teach, well, this was just for that one initial outpouring and the birthing of the church, they don't, they're not really realizing that a powerless church was never God's desire. He wants His church to be marked with power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we must pray, and that's why we teach the Bible, and that's why we must embrace it. Amen? Amen. All right. So let me give you one last thing, and we're closing now. Everybody in this teaching. The last word is the word cooperation. I want you to write that down, cooperation. This is one of the things that I've learned is that the early church resolved conflicts and they cooperated with their leaders. If they had not cooperated with their leaders, then the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom would have been shut down. Because we're talking about huge divides. We're talking about people dying for what they believed on both sides. Those that were devout Jews and those who were devout Jesus followers. I mean, we're talking about bloodshed. 
And so this conflict was so deep and steep that they had to cooperate with one another. And that's what we find happening in Acts chapter 15 at the Council of Jerusalem. Because now uh, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, they're seeing miracles. Peter's also seen incredible miracle. And, he's, and God has corrected his theology, right everybody? And so now they all have to come together and have a discussion. So at that council that, that Chris and Claire read about, they all get together and there's the Jews, Jewish believers are, are resisting a salvation that comes by grace alone through faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. They're resisting it. They're like, it's too easy. They need to be cut. And, and, and they need to start sacrificing, and they need to start obeying the ceremonial laws, the, the Sabbath, all of this stuff. They, they have to do that or they can't be saved. So it's Jesus plus Judaism. And the Apostle Paul, who, by the way, was like a Jew of Jews who believed all of that, now he's like fully received the revelation of Jesus. And he said, no, Jesus came to fulfill all of that stuff. So if we just put our trust in him, it's enough. And so they're having this debate. James, who is, let's call him the half-brother of Jesus, he was the brother of Jesus. Not, this is not James, John's brother who's dead, but James, the brother of Jesus, is the leader of, you could say it this way, he is the lead elder at the church of Jerusalem, or he is the lead pastor is what we would say. He's the guy that the mantle is on, and he has convened this council. And they're all talking. Then Peter gets up and he shares about the sheet and how, what God has done. And Peter says, we shouldn't put that yoke on them. And then finally James says, we've heard everything, everybody. And now I want you to listen to me. I want you to see this, everyone. And you should really thank God for this incredible conclusion. James says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted to idols, from sexual immorality, and from meat, strang meat of strangled animals from their blood. Now, I, ju I just want you to see this, that there was some pagan customs that were so offensive to the Jews that James is saying they can sacrifice somewhat not to offend. It wasn't a mark of salvation, but it was an issue where James is saying, let's just ask them to, be, to, to not be so culturally adverse to others in the local church. You, 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 know, you know, everybody, we can relate to this. and. Oh, you know, it's 11.20, but are y'all okay? I just want to keep talking. If, if, if I'm going too long, you don't ever have to come back. <laughs> but let's just address something right now. You know, in this church right now, there are people in here who drink alcohol and people who will not touch it. You know what the Scripture teaches us about this? Is that we should prefer our brother. And if there's something that we're doing in the presence of a brother or sister— that is so offensive to them, or might lead them to stumble, can't you do without it? Can't you sacrifice for it? At, at the same time, 
those who think they're so special because they have this holiness revelation, don't be so judgmental of others who have a liberty to have a glass of wine at a nice restaurant or in the evening before they go to sleep. Can y'all believe he's talking about that on Sunday morning? I know we're recording this message right now. But you gotta, you gotta, you gotta understand the church, churches have conflict and we conflict, we have conflict oftentimes over what we've considered to be morality issues. And he establishes them here. Don't, don't be eating things that have been dedicated to the devil. I don't think you should be listening to music and participating in things that exalt the devil and the enemy. I don't think you should be. But there are things, I think, that some of us that come from a background that we just have a conviction about, and your convictions are very important, and for you to violate your convictions would be sin to you. But there are some measures of things that you don't need to put on everybody else because your relationship is with you and God. Now, there are standards in the Word of God that we can't compromise on, but what James is saying, let's don't put heavy burdens on people because they, they are our biases. So quiet right now. But he settled this issue, and this issue of the dietary issue and circumcision. You understand that the, what, what the Jews were asking was something that was going to be really bloody. And I'm t there are a lot of grown men that want to be circumcised. And, and, and they, 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 they didn't want to kill Fifi and Fufu. They didn't want to do animal sacrifices. And they wanted to enjoy Saturdays. Anybody listening to me? All, all I want you to see is that, is that Jesus bled, and we don't have to bleed anymore. His, it, once it was the blood of bulls and goats that covered our sin. But Jesus entered into the holy place with his own precious blood, and he redeemed us from sin once and for all, and there never, never, ever does another person need to bleed and die to be right with God. Jesus already finished the work. And if, you, if you're Jewish or if you love Jewish celebrations and you like the feast and all that, have at it. Enjoy it. But salvation doesn't come through outward acts of sacrificial obedience. It comes by faith in the Lord Jesus and the finished work that he has already accomplished for us. Amen. And can I just tell you, sometimes we have to be reminded of these things. You know, in Galatians chapter 2, there's a, a, a really incredible story. It has to do with Peter, who went to Antioch. This is some years after all of this happened. Come on, stand up with me, everybody. You can stand while, stretch your legs while I'm telling you this story. Acts chapter 2, verse 11. Read it on your own. The apostle Paul says, Peter came to us, and when he was in Antioch visiting our church, well, there, yeah, they have it on the screen. What he did was wrong. Now, this is Paul talking about Peter. Two powerhouses. Look at it behind my shoulder. He, he said, 
when, when he first arrived, he was eating with the Gentile believers, and man, he was hanging out, sucking on crab legs. I mean, come on, really? Enjoying pork chops? But then some people came from James, from Jerusalem, from the church of Jerusalem, and they came and visited, and they were still so offended that the Gentiles were eating that stuff. And Peter slowly began to pull away. And Paul's like, hey, hold on a minute. You, before they came, you were hanging out with us, having dinner with us, but now, because of the fear of man, you're pulling away? And it says he even led Barnabas astray. Thank God for the Apostle Paul, because I'm just, I'm just telling you, everybody, the Apostle Paul said, what you're doing is not in line with the gospel, because in the gospel, you can't live with the fear of man. And hypocrisy has no place in the kingdom of God. And legalism is deadly. And all of us have a tendency sometimes to gravitate towards how special we are and better we are than those poor people, or how we don't measure up because we're not holy like those holy people. And can I just tell you, everybody, it's all about the risen Jesus and the work that he has done, and it's complete. When you are in a church and your leaders are inconsistent, don't freak out. We're just people like everybody else. Every now and then we have to be reminded, let's stay true to the standard of the gospel and don't gravitate back into our ungodly ways, our hypocrisy, our legalism. Everybody say, I'm glad to be free. I'm glad Jesus died for me, and I'm thankful I get to eat what I want to eat. <laughs> Give him praise, everybody, right now. Come on, everybody. Give Jesus praise. He's so worthy. When they resolved this conflict, they sent a letter. They wrote the letter, James signed the letter, and they sent it out, and, and the missionary teams, they took it everywhere, and that letter was a sign of authority. We've dealt with this. It's out in the open. This is the reason why we believe what we believe, and, and the church around the world, they gathered around that letter. They kept combating this legalism, but God established the church, and now, thank God, here we are in 2023, in love with Jesus, enjoying our freedom that we have in Christ. God bless you, everybody. Have a great Sunday. Glory to God. Hey, meet somebody on your way out. We'll see you next